Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is open up to Matthew, the fifth chapter, and I'm going to invite you to be getting your Bible out and be opening it up to Matthew, chapter 5. That's where we're going to start. It's where we're going to launch from. It's really going to set a nice, solid foundation for us to build off of for the duration of our study together this morning. Preaching is designed to be a two-way street. I'm doing some speaking things, but on your end, you need to be doing some listening and engaging with the Word of God, and really, one of the best ways you can do that is by opening up a Bible and following along Matthew, the fifth chapter chapters where that's going to begin. Thank you so much for the opportunity to stand before you today and to present some things from Scripture that uh, I trust will be helpful and encouraging to you, that maybe will even push you and challenge you a little bit. That's especially going to be the case today as we talk about some things that are very peculiar to those who claim to be the followers of Christ. What kind of people ought we to be? That's going to be evident as we read here in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5. Read with me beginning in verse 13. In Matthew 5 verse 13, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do you know what an influencer is? Have you heard that term lately, maybe in the last couple of years? The word influencer is gaining more and more traction. It's actually becoming something that if you have a large following on social media, you can actually turn it into being a highly lucrative career. Basically, an influencer is someone who uses their platform on social media to endorse products or services to all of their fans and to all of their followers. And so, for example, here's maybe some well-known public figure, a celebrity, an athlete or someone, and they've got hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter. Well, they may choose to exploit that by hawking Diet Coke on their Twitter feed or plugging the latest advertisement for some gizmo by Samsung or by Apple. Or maybe here's someone who's got millions of followers on Instagram. Lots of teenagers are exploiting this, using Instagram pictures of themselves doing certain things, certain activities, maybe even wearing certain clothes. I've got on the latest Calvin Klein fashion. Or here's the latest clothing from a brand new Upstart clothing line, and I'm going to use my influence to reach all of the people who are looking at my posts. Or maybe here's someone who's got a lot of subscribers on their YouTube channel. And so they then use their YouTube channel to do makeup tutorials to plug makeup products. Or maybe even kids. Kids are even getting in on this game. Kids sitting in front of a camera playing with the latest toy. Advertisers, companies are figuring out that the traditional methods of advertising, TV commercials, radio spots, print advertisements, those things are slowly going the way of the buffalo. What they recognize is is that certain people in our world today are able to use their clout, they're able to use their position to reach millions upon millions of people each day and influence the buying decisions of the public at large. Here's the person just scrolling through their news feed on Facebook or whatever social media platform it is, and they are in a very subtle way being influenced by the things that they see these influential people doing. These are professional 
influencers. Well, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus has a word or two to say about influencers. But of course, Jesus is not interested in people who are influencers for the latest pair of Nike tennis shoes or whoever's an influencer for the latest L'Oreal makeup product, or whoever's being an influencer for the latest video game. No. No, in Matthew 5, Jesus teaches His disciples that they are to be influencers for the kingdom. That His people, His followers, are to have an influence on the world around them for the kingdom of God. My question to you this morning is, is that you? Does that describe you? Are you an influencer? If I am around you, if I spend some time in your presence, will some of the values of the kingdom begin to rub off on me? If I get to know you, if I learn and observe you over time, will that result in me seeing Christ in your life? Well, that calls me to be a little bit curious as to why you are different from the whole rest of the world at large. Well, that maybe calls me to be one step closer to asking a key and critical Bible question. If I observe you, if I maybe watch your social media habits and the kinds of things that you post, will I be drawn closer to Jesus Christ simply by the way that you live? Are you... Salt and light. Those are the metaphors that Jesus uses. And those are, you need to know, powerful images in Jesus' day and time. For example, think about the salt idea. If you had a cow and you wanted to slaughter that cow because you wanted to have a barbecue for you and your family one evening, well, okay, you'd enjoy a good barbecue that evening, but of course if you kill a full-size cow, you're going to have a lot of meat left over. Well, what are you going to do with all of that meat if you live in first century times? You don't have a refrigerator that you can store all of that leftover meat. What are you going to do? Well, that's where salt came into the picture. Because salt preserved the meat. You salt the meat, it serves as a preservative. That meant that salt was very, very valuable in that day and time. In fact, sometimes Roman soldiers were actually paid in salt. That is the basis for our word Salary. You see that word in there, salt. Salary. Salt had a preserving effect. And then what about that other metaphor, the metaphor of light? Well, once again, in New Testament times, they didn't have electricity. You know, I've got all kinds of lights set up here in the room that are shining on me right now. But in New Testament times, they didn't have this. They didn't have street lights on every corner. They didn't have headlamps on their chariots. They didn't have LED flashlights in their pocket on their cell phone. No, light was valuable because it provided guidance and direction. And so Jesus uses two important metaphors, one for preservation and one for guidance to say to His disciples, I want you to be that. That's what I want you to be. I want you to be salt and I want you to be light. I want you to have a preserving and guiding influence on the world around you. I'm asking you this morning, are you an influencer in that way? Are you having a positive influence for the kingdom of God as you live your life day to day around people who are not a part of the kingdom of God? 
That's exactly what we're talking about this morning, being an influencer for the cause of Christ. And that all needs to begin by just having some conversation about the power of influence. You know, sometimes people say, oh, come on, get up there and talk about influence like it's a big deal. You know, is influence really that big of a deal? You know, can we really make a difference just by the way that we live? Well, the Bible says, absolutely. Yes, indeed. Can I illustrate that for you just in a couple of places, both positively and negatively? Look with me in the Old Testament to start with. In the book of Judges, in Judges chapter 2, in Judges chapter 2, if you know your Old Testament history, then you know the days of Joshua are largely a, a time of peace and a time of prosperity for the children of Israel. But by the time you get to the book of Judges, it's the complete opposite. I mean, it's just like bizarro world. It's just the complete negative aspect of what we saw in Joshua. It's like the Wild West in the book of Judges. So the question is, why is that? Why was there such calm and steadiness in the time of Joshua? Well, the beginning of Judges explains that. In Judges chapter 2, I'm reading here in verse 7. In Judges 2 and in verse 7, the people, they serve the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. That passage highlights the calm and steadying influence that Joshua had on the nation of Israel. Just the way that Joshua did things. The fact that he stood for righteousness when that was not always the popular thing to do. The fact that he and his family said, we're going to serve the Lord. We've made a decision about that. Judges 2 verse 7 tells us that the force of Joshua's character had a powerful effect, a powerful influence on the people of Israel. In fact, even for several years after he had died. And that's the influence of just one man. And we see that all throughout Scripture. In fact, look in the New Testament with me. In Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, there were Jews who were thinking about putting a stop to the spread of Christianity. We're going to put our foot down about this. But a man, a teacher by the name of Gamaliel stood up and he said some things about influence that needed to be taken into consideration. So in Acts 5 verse 36, he says, he said, For before these days, Theudas rose up, Acts 5 36, Theudas rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men. About 400 joined him. Alright, so this guy used some kind of influence, used his clout, used his position, rallied a troop of 400 people, of people who were following him. He was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and they came to nothing. And that isn't the only example of that. Verse 37, After him Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and he drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. The Bible is filled with example after example of individuals who exerted their influence, some of them for good like Joshua and unfortunately many others for evil like these here in Acts 5. But it lets us know that there is indeed power in influence. Influence has powerful effects on everybody and that includes ourselves, not just those people there in Bible times. Influence can cause us to decide, 
how we're going to conduct our lives, how we dress, what our interests and hobbies are, what kind of words and language that we use, where we go, the, the kinds of people we hang out with, who our friends are. We need to realize that influence has power. All of us right now can probably think of and identify someone or maybe several someones who have most influenced our lives. Can you think of someone right now? Maybe it's a close friend. Maybe it's a grandparent. Maybe it was your mom or your dad. Maybe it was a sibling. Maybe it was a teacher. People who helped to shape us and mold us into who we are today. But of course, believing in the power of someone else's influence, that is not the same as believing in the power of my own influence. And that is why secondly this morning, we do need to understand some things about the power of our own influence. You know, sometimes we trick ourselves into thinking, oh, you know, I, I could never influence anybody. You know, nobody's watching me. Nobody's paying attention to me. I can't change others and change the world by simply the way that I live. I'm just never going to have that kind of influence. Well, let me say something about that. First of all, you might be right. Secondly, you might not be right. Can I explain to you what I mean by that? I believe that there are two kinds of influence. And I'm going to name those, these two kinds of influence. First of all, there is what I would call conscious influence. That is, we know that there are people who are focused on us. They are looking to us to set the standard, to set the tone, to set the agenda. It's when we know people are looking to see what we're doing. That, for example, would be people like the Instagram influencers. Kylie Jenner is able to generate a million dollars per post. And that's because her influence is great. People, young people, young girls are looking at her to see what she's wearing in fashion or the latest sunglasses or what she's drinking or what she's eating. That's where people know that this person has influence. People are looking to them. In the spiritual realm, that would describe people like the Apostle Paul. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul was aware that people had their eyes on him. They were looking at him. That he was, as an apostle, he was setting the standard for all kinds of people in first century times. That is conscious influence. And if you're listening to me this morning and you're thinking to yourself, oh, nobody looks at me that way. You know, nobody's watching me closely to, to set that standard for everybody else. Well, I should say to you, you want to be careful about that. If you're a parent, chances are about 99.9% .9 that your kids are looking at you in that way. You may not always realize it. I, as a young parent myself, I don't always realize that. But our kids are looking at us in a conscious way and we are influencing them. 
But you might be thinking, well, I'm not a parent or my kids are already grown up and they're already living out on their own and I just don't really have people who are looking at me like that. Well, there's a good possibility that you are right. The media probably is not camped at your doorstep ready to put the microphone in your face and to ask you what's your answer on the important debate about chocolate versus vanilla. Okay, that's probably not happening. People not, may not be looking at you in a conscious, deliberate sort of way. But I said there were two kinds of influence, didn't I? What about this other way? What about unconscious influence? That's the kind of influence that we utilize in small ways, through small gestures and small deeds. Jesus talks about that kind of influence, I believe, in Matthew the 10th chapter. In Matthew chapter 10, would you look there? Jesus says that our unconscious influence, that it actually can be highly effective. That small things, maybe even unthought of things, really can add up. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says this in verse 42. Matthew 10 verse 42, He says, And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, then truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Unconscious influence often matters a whole lot more than we realize. A kind word, a text message, a card in the mail, a word of encouragement, maybe just saying to someone very genuinely, I'm praying for you. Those kinds of things are not giant heroic acts where you're going to say, hey, look out world, stop the presses, I'm going to influence everyone right now. No, those are small, quiet and kindly deeds that end up making a significant impact for the Lord. A cup of cold water, Jesus says. In fact, just turn over a couple of pages in Matthew. In Matthew 13... In Matthew 13, in one of the shortest parables that Jesus tells, He says this in Matthew 13, verse 33, talking about what people would be like in the kingdom and how that works. Matthew 13, 33, He told them another parable, that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. I don't know a lot about leaven and about baking, but I know this, I know that leaven is small. It is, it is tiny. You almost can't even see it with the naked eye. It's a tiny ingredient, but it ends up affecting the whole loaf of bread. Leaven works very slowly, and in some ways it works very secretly. You can't even see it. It's not obvious. But in the end, it has an enormous effect. Over time, leaven really works. And your unconscious influence may have that very same effect for the kingdom of God. I remember a preacher talking once about a nurse in a local small town who was ultimately converted to Christ because she just kept seeing people week after week after week from this local church coming and visiting people who were in the hospital. Whenever somebody was sick, this church just always had folks over there just constantly, just regularly going and visiting those folks, praying for those folks, bringing them balloons and flowers and stuff. After seeing those same people time and time and time again, eventually the nurse just finally had to ask, Hey, what church are you people from? Who are you folks? Do you see? 
That woman wanted to know. She wanted more information about the genuine Christianity that she was seeing practiced right before her eyes. Now I want you to keep in mind, nobody from that church was thinking to themselves, oh man, i got to get down there today to the hospital and I need to influence that nurse. Yeah, I need to go and have a conscious influence on that woman. No. No, what those people were doing is they were just offering cups of cold water. And as a result, someone noticed. They were just practicing genuine Christianity. They were just being leavened. It wasn't something earth-shattering that they were doing. It wasn't something world-changing. It wasn't done with all kinds of fanfare and ballyhoo and attention, but it really made a difference because the end result was that the kingdom of God was expanded. It was broadened because they used their influence for the Lord. Jesus says, cups of cold water, little bits of leaven, unconscious influence really make a difference. And you and I, we need to stop fooling ourselves into thinking that our influence, oh, it just really can't make a difference. It just, I really can't do anything. Oh, who am I? I'm a nobody. I'm going to tell you, when we say that to ourselves, when we convince ourselves of that, what's going to happen is, is we're going to live carelessly and we're going to live sloppily as a Christian. Do you understand what I mean by that? When we tell ourselves, oh, it, it doesn't really matter what kind of entertainment I choose, what kind of shows I watch, what kind of movies I watch, not thinking that as we discuss that godless movie or that godless television program with our coworkers, what our coworkers are doing is they're shaking their heads and they're saying to themselves, I thought he was a Christian. What's he doing watching shows like that? Or ladies... Ladies, whenever we tell ourselves, oh, it, it, it doesn't matter how I dress, that gets overblown. Preachers get up and preach about modesty and all that sort of thing, not realizing that as we then go out and parade in public, exposing way more of our bodies than we ought to, what our neighbors are doing is our neighbors are saying, isn't she a Christian? Doesn't she go down to that church down there? What's she doing wearing that kind of stuff out in public? Or, gentlemen, when we tell ourselves, oh, it, it, it doesn't matter what kind of language that I use. It doesn't matter that I say every now and then some, some four-letter words around my buddies and around my pals, not recognizing that as I'm saying and spewing all those four-letter words around my bros so that I can be all macho and tough, what our bros are thinking is they're thinking of a nine-letter word right across the top of our profile. It's the word hypocrite. When we don't pay attention, when we tell ourselves that how we live really doesn't make a difference, what happens is, is we miss opportunities. We miss opportunities to help and to encourage, to lead, to point, to give some of that guidance, to give some of that preservation that the earth needs, to give a smile, to say a kind word. Opportunities through our influence to connect with people and to then begin drawing them to the cross of Jesus Christ. I'll say once again, the world may not be camping at your doorstep, but that does not make the charge that Jesus issues here in Matthew chapter 5 to be salt and light. It doesn't make them any less valid. Jesus tells us that in small ways, we can have a big effect for the kingdom of God.
Which maybe is causing somebody right now to be thinking, okay, Josh, yeah, I, I, I'm here with you. I, I get what you're saying there. We have power and influence. I need to recognize the power in my own influence, whether that's my conscious influence, whether that's my unconscious influence. But my question is, how do we build our influence? How, how do we develop that and grow that? And that is step three, isn't it? What does it take to build our influence. Now, when we talk about building our influence, we really are talking about what we do and how we live outwardly. We are talking about what people see, what they are viewing in our lives. And here's the kicker. We need to always be very careful about that. There were people in Jesus' day and time who were really, really in to their outward appearance. They wanted to make sure that everybody saw them as being super righteous, super holy, super pious. And who were those people? Well, those were the Pharisees, weren't they? And although the Pharisees did have influence, they didn't have a lot of influence for good. No, mostly their influence was designed to intimidate others, Cause others to think, oh, you'll never be as good as I am. I'm so holy, I'm so pure, I'm so right, I'm so much better than you are. That is not what we are shooting for. What we're looking to do is to build the right kind of influence. To help us to do that, can I direct you to a passage that maybe you would not think of in this connection? And I'd like for us to just spend the last couple of minutes here. It's in your Old Testament. And it's in the book of Isaiah. Would you find Isaiah chapter 61? In Isaiah chapter 61, this is a wonderful prophecy about the time of the Messiah. Isaiah was looking forward several hundred years down the stream of time. God is speaking through him. And he's looking ahead to, to this time, the Christian age. What's it going to be like once the Messiah has come? Would you notice with me just the first three verses? These verses may sound actually a little bit familiar to you because these are the verses that Jesus quotes in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4. In Isaiah 61, beginning in verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. This message was originally given to a people who were beaten down in sin. That's who these people were. And this is a message that was designed to bring gladness, cheer. It is a message that says lots of things about joyfulness and cheerfulness. In fact, look at all the happy language that's used right there in that text. Good news. Liberty to the captives, opening up the prison doors, the oil of gladness, the garment of praise. In fact, drop down to verse 10. Verse 10 goes on to say, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. 
He's covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. You cannot get out of Isaiah's prophecy that the time of the Messiah, that the Christian age, is going to be a time of darkness and gloom and sadness and people just walking around with with sullen and somber faces all of the time. No. No, the prophet says that the time of the Messiah is going to be a time of great joy and cheer. Can I ask you this? How is it that some have managed to make Christianity sound like it's just almost the most miserable life possible. That being a Christian, it's just dreadful. It's misery. That there's never a place for joy or for gladness. That it's all just dreary and gloomy and sad because we're missing out on all of that really, really good stuff out there that everybody else is getting to do. But listen to me. If we truly are the followers of Jesus Christ, if we are followers of the one who says, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly, then shouldn't there be something about our Christianity that lends itself to cheerfulness? Honestly, should we not be the happiest people on earth? You know, right here, Christian, is a baseline beginning for being an influencer for the kingdom. Do you want to be salt and do you want to be light? Then right here, here we go. Are you happy to be a Christian? What a profound question that is. Are you glad that you are a child of God? You know, we are blessed in so many ways. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, Ephesians says. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have hope. We have peace. We have purpose in life. The list goes on and on and on. There's so many wonderful things about being a child of God. I'm asking, are you glad to be a Christian? And if the answer to that is yes, then shouldn't some of that be showing? Shouldn't some of that be evident in our lives? Shouldn't some of that be leaking out of us somehow in some way? Especially in a world and in a time where things are so dark and so bleak in a world that is in need of some good news. Let me be very clear. This does not mean that we pretend to be cheerful when in fact we are not. This does not mean that we put on some kind of an artificial smile and we act happy because, well, that's just what we're supposed to do as Christians. That's not what I mean at all. What it does mean, though, is that Oscar the Grouch cannot represent Christianity. And neither can you if you're going to be Oscar's twin. There is something about Christianity that ought to bring out cheerfulness. Why? Because we've been saved. We have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. You want to talk about salt? You want to talk about light? then brother or sister, stop walking around looking like you've been sucking on a sour dill pickle, just just acting like you've just got the weight of the world on you all the time. I am marvel at Christians who just their lives are just full of complaining. You scroll through their social media feed and it's nothing but just complaining and harping on everything. There's nothing ever positive that comes out of their mouth. People talk about them. Oh, I know that guy. 
Boy, that guy's just grouchy all the time. Guy never has a good word. Guy's just upset and got complaints about everything. Stop it. Stop it, brother or sister. Start showing people the joy that comes from being saved because, because Christians who are cheerful, they are influencers. Look a little bit further in the text in Isaiah. In Isaiah 61, pick up in verse 4. In verse 4, Isaiah says that in the time of the Messiah, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. You shall be called, notice this, you shall be called the priests of the Lord. And they shall speak to you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Isaiah speaks here of the consecration of the people of God. He talks about how during the time of the Messiah that God's people are going to just live differently from the rest of this world. Focus again there on verse 6, that you will be called priests of the Lord. The Apostle Peter, of course, builds off that in 1 Peter chapter 2 to talk about how we are a royal priesthood, a people for God's own possession that we may proclaim His excellencies. That's who we are. We are set apart. We are consecrated from the world and consecrated to the Lord. And I realize that word consecrate is a real religious sounding term. What that means is, is that means we've been called to live lives that are pure and holy, and righteous, to have lives of discipline. Maybe what that means in a more practical kind of way is that I, as a Christian, I must never say, or act, or do, or be involved in something that opposes the values of the kingdom of God. That there are just some things that I must realize I cannot do. I can never do because I am consecrated to the Lord. Can I illustrate that for you? Do you know what happens to a Coca-Cola delivery man if he gets caught drinking a can of Pepsi? I I used to work at a convenience store uh, when I was a teenager. And I got to talk to a Coca-Cola driver. And he told me in no uncertain terms that if he is ever caught in public with a Pepsi product in hand, he would be fired on the spot. Now we may think that sounds a little bit extreme, but why is that? Well, that's because the people over at Coca-Cola are involved in a soda pop war with the people over at Pepsi-Cola. And you know what? They take that battle very, very seriously. Their drivers, their employees, their people are not to be dabbling over here in the enemy's product, if you know what I'm saying. If you're going to work for Coke, you've got to be a Coke guy or a Coke gal. Do you understand then the parallel to Christianity and to our walk with the Lord. In James chapter 1 and verse 27, James says that one of the marks of pure and undefiled religion is that we must keep ourselves unstained, unspotted from the world. You can't be a Jesus guy and also be a world guy at the same time. you got to remain unstained, unspotted. Can I ask you, how can we possibly influence others for Christ when it is clear that instead of being the influencer, 
we are actually under the influence. The influence of the world. The Bible says that we are called as God's people to consecration. Others need to see that we are different. Otherwise, we will have no saltiness for the kingdom. Consecrated Christians are influencers. Look with me finally in Isaiah 61. Pick up in verse 7 where we left off. Isaiah says, in the time of the Messiah, he says, instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. Hey, there's that joy and cheerfulness again. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Verse 9. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples, all who see them shall acknowledge them that they, they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. Do you see it there in verse 9? Isaiah says that in the time of the Messiah, in the Christian age, there will just be a certain confidence in the way that God's people live. Verse 9 says that their offspring are going to be known by everyone. People are going to look at them, they're going to see them, and they're going to acknowledge them that those people, those Christ followers, they are an offspring that the Lord has blessed. They have confidence. Let me be very, very clear here. When I talk about confident living in our Christianity, this is not cockiness. This is not arrogance. But I'm going to tell you this, whenever there is that inner joy and cheerfulness, and whenever that is coupled with holy and consecrated living, then the result of that is there is going to be a humble confidence that just naturally follows in the way that we walk, in the way that we talk, and in the way that we live. Why? Because we know that we are anchored in Jesus. Back in 2008... My grandmother was dying of, um, <clears throat> of cervical cancer. And she came to the county attorney's office where I was working at the time. She was needing to get some legal stuff uh, in order, get some things updated, wills and things of that nature before she, before she passed or before she came, became too ill to do anything about it. And so one of my coworkers there in the office who got to talking with her in the lobby and was kind of getting some information and getting all that wrote down, she got to converse with my grandma. And in the course of that conversation, my coworker told me later on that she was just struck profoundly by the very confident, humble, yet confident way in which my grandmother spoke about dying and about death and about what happens after death. And my coworker said to me, Josh, your grandmother is amazing. And she is amazing because the confidence that she exudes, the peace that she has, I want that. I, I want to know how to have that. I, I want to be like her when I reach that time in my life. And you know what that incident said to me and what that proved to me? It proved to me that people are looking at us. They're looking at Christians. They're looking to see if we have that kind of confidence in our lives. 
People by and large are fed up with all of the fake and hypocritical spirituality that they see flaunted and paraded in our world today. But you, Christian, you, brother, you, sister, someone who has conviction, someone who believes, someone who lives out those convictions consistently, that has power. It does. It has influence. And I'm saying to you this morning that if you will carry and conduct yourself in such a way that says loudly and clearly that I am confident of where I stand. I know who my Redeemer is. And I know who God is. And He knows me. And I know His will. And I know that I am living in accordance with it to the very best of my ability. And I know His goodness and His kindness and His graciousness and His love. And I know that I have seized upon that offer for eternal salvation. I'm here to tell you that when that just exudes from your pores, that has power. You think about that song that we sometimes sing? We're marching to Zion. The song is not, well, we're kind of crawling into Zion. We're limping into Zion. We're kind of hoping we'll make it in. No. We are marching there because I know where my name is written. And in that way, you will draw people to the Lord. People will want that. They will want to know how to get some of that. And that's because confident Christians are influencers. Isaiah then concludes his prophetic words in verse 11 by saying this. He says, For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. God is doing a great work, Isaiah says. That great work in the time of the Messiah, it will come through His people who live in a certain way. They live in a way that has powerful influence on everyone around them. And this, it seems to me, are the keys to being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. This is what it means to be an influencer. What you and I need to be doing right about now is we need to be asking ourselves and we need to be doing some honest introspection. I need to be asking, am I using my influence for Jesus and for His kingdom? All of us have influence. That's not to be denied. The question is, how am I using that influence? Am I using it for the cause of right and good? Or is it possible that I am telling myself that all influence, it doesn't matter, people aren't paying attention to me, and as a result, I'm blundering around, and I am pushing people away from the kingdom of God? Am I an influencer for the kingdom? You have the ability to be a preserving influence, to be a guiding force to a lost and dying world, but that will only happen, friend, if you are willing to rise to the challenge that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 5, to be salt and light. One man said, It is better to light a single candle than to curse the darkness. Jesus says, Your life is that single candle. Let your light shine for me. Would you pray with me please? Our dear gracious God and our Father in heaven, Father, we come before you asking a blessing upon your word in our hearts this morning. 
Lord, help us to better understand what it means to be an influencer. Help us not to discount what we can do, even in small ways, to promote Your Son, Your Word, Your Kingdom, and Your ways. Help us, Father, that we would show the joy of being Your child, the value of holy and pure living, and the great confidence that we have through Christ Jesus. Father, we ask You to please forgive us in whatever ways that we failed You in that. Father, there are times we know that we have compromised our influence through just recklessness or negligence or our own sinful behavior. Father, help us to repent. Help us to be restored to a right relationship with You. Help us to rebuild our influence so that it can be used for good and not for evil. Father, we're so thankful for Your Son who not only taught us about influence, but He showed us how to use our influence in the right way, how to use it for the benefit of others, and Father, we're thankful most of all for how He benefited us by giving His life as a full self-sacrifice so that we might be saved eternally. And it is in His name, the name of Jesus the Christ, that we pray. And Amen.